0: Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Bielow and I'm the founder of Awesome Women in Construction, or AWIC, a not-for-profit association who provides a supporting community for women in the construction industry. I've started a podcast series called Awesome Women, taking a wide focus on women in all areas of the community, construction, automotive, mining, healthcare, farming, hospitality and many others. I have met some amazing and wonderful women in my time, and they all have a story to tell, one that we are ready to hear. The podcast guests have had and are having amazing careers. They are small business owners, many of them raising a family at the same time. Others I know are training for a variety of reasons, including representing our country in sport and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Some of you have represented your country in sport and are now writing books and carving out very successful careers. Some of our guests are employed full time and have a side hustle. Your journeys vary, but they are all inspirational and can show others what the world has to offer. You are an inspiration to me and I wanna share that with the AWIC members in our fabulous community. My intention was to have a casual chat, enabling women to tell their stories. This has definitely been achieved. I have enjoyed recording these podcasts. Now it's time for you to enjoy listening to them. Hi, everybody. Well, it's time for another awesome women podcast. And today we have Pep joining us from Young Care. Hi, Pep. Hi, Amanda. Hi, everyone. How are you? So, Pep... You've joined YoungCare in February of 2017, um, following work in the mental health area. You've also worked in a voluntary capacity for the, with the homeless community of Brisbane during the floods of 2011. And you've spent time traveling to East Timor and living in the mountain villages to assist with building projects and education of some of the poorest people in the world. Wow.
1: I know. I know. And tell us and I, some,
0: yeah, tell us some
1: more about your East Timor visit. I sort of um, fell into that, you know, from when I was a really young girl and I used to see things on the news and everything, um, I used to always really want to go and do work with some of the people in developing nations. Mm-hmm. But, of course, like so many things in life, that gets put on the back burner and it's the, the to-do list almost never happens. Yeah. Anyhow, um, in 2000 and, oh, I can't remember what year it was, um, 2012, I think it was, um, my oldest child had the opportunity to do a school trip, an immersion up to East Timor. And um, he was up there for, I think, a couple of weeks. He's 23 now, so it's quite some time ago.
0: Yep.
1: And When Harry came back, he was actually really quite changed and affected and looked at life in a very different way, made some very different life decisions that did shape his future after doing that. And um, he really wanted me to go up there again with him. Mm -hmm. So I became quite involved with a number of families whose sons had, had done the same school trip. And we independently organised a a trip the following year, so 2013 it must have been, and headed up there for, um, again, I think it was about two and a half weeks that we were up there and we went up into um, the villages outside Dili. It's about a two and a half hour drive along a very terrifying cliff road Um, and I did find out after the event that the fellow that took us up in these, um, we went in, the troop carriers took us up there the, the troop carrier trucks, but they were Timorese fellow that, fellows that were driving them, and they'd actually never driven those roads before. <gasps> and that it was absolutely... I was down on the floor at some points in time because I, you just didn't want to see what was outside the window. And um, so we went up into the mountains. It's about its about a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive up into the mountains, but it's very remote. There's no running water or electricity, or there wasn't in those days. So we stayed in a makeshift sort of shed type arrangement, um, but it was rat infested and uh, we cooked on an open fire at night and um, there's a lot of wild dogs. Uh, there'd also been some terrible unrest up there in the adjoining village and there'd been um, a couple of families who had been attacked and killed Um, with a gang by machetes and really distressing stuff and the village had been burnt to the ground. So we did have to have a police presence that came to the church and spoke to all the um, villagers up there and explained that we were up there to assist them and work out where they needed help to raise money and that sort of thing. Uh, Look, it was pretty intense and I remember Uh, because at night we'd tuck nets in over the top of us so that the rats couldn't get into your bed and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I know. (laughs) And and, um, if you needed to go to the toilet during the night, you'd have to go out through this makeshift building and um, untuck your net and go out and, you know, you just... There were no toilets. They just dropped toilets. But then... Then there were wild dogs around and it was, yeah, it was quite frightening at times. And I remember sort of probably two thirds of my way into it up in the mountains, because you are very isolated. There's no mobile reception. There's no nothing. Going for a walk up the mountain, because I was really feeling like, how am I going to do another 24 hours of this? Because this is just, it's, it's so labour intensive. It's boiling hot. You can't wash, Um, you're cooking over an open stove. Every single thing you do is hard work. And I remember going for a walk up and um, just taking some time out and going for a walk a bit up the road. I had taken my three oldest children with me on this trip with another couple of families and saying to myself, you know what, pull it together. These people actually live like this every day of their life and you're starting to, to really feel the pressure and you've been up here for two weeks. Just, just get it together, take some deep breaths. And I probably took about half an hour and just sort of walked around, thought, mustered up my courage and, um, and went back down and got on with it But I'll tell you, when we got back down to Dili, I have never raced to turn on a tap so fast in my life as I did when we got to that hotel. And the hotels in Dili are not very fancy, I can assure you, but they they are like the most basic of hotels or motels that we'd stay in here. Um, But it felt like absolute luxury.
0: And I guess sometimes we forget.
1: I went up two years later and did the same thing. I formed a a committee called the Rainbow Committee, and um, over the period of about two and a half years, we raised $80,000, around that $80,000 mark. Now, that built one kindergarten um, and and all the equipment needed in the kindergarten as well, uh, up in the mountains, where people had no access to any early education whatsoever, and provided all the children with school bags, with things, you know, things in them. We bought rice cookers and rice and oil for all of the schools and kindergartens, which are called techers up there, uh, um, because to try to encourage the, the children to attend school, because it's an hour and a half walk to, to school and then back home from school. So the incentive was um, if they could get a meal at school each day, that they would attend, because um, East Timor is the seventh poorest nation in the world and the people have absolutely, they've got absolutely nothing. And there's a generation of people that were wiped out during um, the Indonesian uh, invasion and occupation as well, and they suffered atrocities that, that you, you know, are, you know, reminiscent of all of those terrible things that go on with concentration camps and torture and all of those sorts of things and we also raised money for all the schools in the Relaco district up in the mountains to have um, proper drop toilets put into them and, um, <coughs> and desks and chairs because there, there were some desks but a lot of them were missing legs and things and the children were kneeling on concrete where there were concrete floors, but then they didn't actually have any paper or pens to be able to actually write down anything that their teacher was putting on the chalkboard. So, so we um, we got uh, backpacks, school supplies, desks, chairs, concrete at the floors, and had toilets put in, and then built the other kindergarten and and supplied rice cookers and, and oil for. And and also, um, a whole lot of pregnancy testing kits because um, that's that's a huge problem as well of people not really there's no education on that sort of thing as well.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Great. Really amazing. One of the most incredible experiences of my life, and um, very much very much changed me definitely I've been a very different person since I became involved with with East Timor and I've got friends up there that um I I message with on Facebook and Messenger and yeah wonderful wonderful memories for me
0: and you were talking about how you bought rice and rice cookers for the school and to get the you know children to attend they would get a a meal while they're attended would that meal have been on some occasions the only meal they may have got for the day
1: Yes, most definitely yeah. and and often they had to walk uh, a sort of probably about an hour round trip to get water from the well each day for their homes. Their homes are just dirt floors that you you have extended family living in in a tiny little hut uh they're they're terribly poor. You don't see uh any cows. I think I saw one cow in the entire time um that I was ever in timor um because, unfortunately, during that um, occupation time, all of the cattle was killed So, and that was to uh, help to eradicate the Timorese people. Uh, they're very tiny people and that is due to malnutrition as well. So I learned a lot of things about that. They, they've got a lot of bananas. Um, they had a lot of eggs because there are a lot of chickens. Uh, it's it's very expensive down in Dili to buy supplies. Uh, you know, for us to we had to plan our meals and what we could do in the makeshift place we were staying in. And so, even to buy like a tin of tuna, that was about twelve dollars US in the big supermarket there for mm-hmm. one the tuna. And at night, when we started um, cooking on the fire um, on the outside. the people from the village would just come up so some nights we were feeding up to 50 people so we very quickly learned um, how to you know do the loaves and the fishes and also we would just we would go without the food Mm -hmm. and to them because um we had plenty we've always got plenty but we also had beautiful experiences even though so the East Timorese people speak tetan which is sort of a combination of of Portuguese, because the Portuguese were in there for 400 years, Um, Indonesian and their own language. It's a very, very short, very small language. There are not a lot of words, but they do communicate beautifully. But it's amazing what I learned with, you know, the women that I was up there, they would come and they'd offer to help us prepare for the meals at night when we were going to feed the village. And, you know, women everywhere are the same. And even though we, we did not have common language, we were all around in the kitchen and we'd be peeling vegetables and chopping vegetables. And through um, just our experiences of women and that lovely coming together of preparing food to, together, which, as we all know, is always a wonderful experience for people to share. Yeah. Um, our communication and everything we we could we could communicate we could speak we could share um, that we knew that what we were doing was very special. So, lovely. It makes me. I've got a big smile on my face now remembering it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And it is that you don't have to speak the same language. You can, you know, like you say, it was just that um, environment, the vibe, and whatnot was happening around the, the campfire. Yeah,
1: and the Timorese women are, are terribly, terribly brave because, you know, during the Indonesian occupation, it was those women who had to stay at home and stay on the farms and look after their children, protect their children because all of the men really were out hiding in the jungles to, to fight. And there is, there is a missing generation of men in East Timor. So the women have had to be incredibly resilient, very strong and, um, wow, wow. Don't underestimate a, a woman of short stature. Uh, I think all women are, are incredibly uh, fiery and strong when it comes to to actually facing obstacles, um, and, and they really did have to overcome an, a, enormous obstacles. Yeah,
0: yeah, and partic-
1: particularly when they're protecting their family. Yeah, that's exactly right. Their family and their livelihood. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I learn a lot from, from these people who have an incredibly simple life, but their life experience has been extraordinary. Yeah. Their survival has been extraordinary.
0: Yeah, wow. And, and here you are today at Young Care as the Family Engagement Officer. So give us a little snapshot on what, I guess, you know, why Young Care? And then what do you do, you know, what's your role within Young Care?
1: Okay, well, this is, this is easy. Why Young Care? So, Young Care was started for a girlfriend of mine that I went to school with. Um, Siobhan was three years younger than me. She was one of my sister's very closest friends. And, um, and Siobhan's husband was at school uh, with, with my, uh, well, still husband. Um, <laughs> separated, still husband. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and Siobhan was diagnosed with MS in her 20s. It was a very aggressive form of MS. And by the time she was in her early 30s, um, her husband, who had done everything he possibly could, simply, even with supports, was unable to support her needs at home. So he went looking for somewhere for Siobhan to live. And if you haven't had anything to do with disability, of course you assume that that this is something that is taken care of that 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 exists that there are things in place that that exist and um there wasn't and um Paul David and Siobhan had to you know Siobhan went to live in aged care so she was 32 I think at the time um 32 33 and it was actually just devastating and I Siobhan and David were very, very lucky because they had a big network of friends. um, And we visited Siobhan. We had a bit of a roster going, and there were a lot of people that visited Siobhan in aged care. And, you know, as you may not know, but most young people living in aged care get virtually no visitors at all. They might get some in the first year, less in the second year, by the third, fourth year, you know family are perhaps the only ones who are coming, if they have family. <clears throat> and, <coughs> excuse me. And um, so, uh, David and three of his mates formed Young care and wonderfully by sort of begging, borrowing and stealing from their friends and network, they were able to build the Cinnamon Park Apartments that opened in 2007, and Siobhan got to live out her time there. Mm-hmm. At the time, they were the first uh, sort of specialist disability accommodation housing in Australia, and so um, they were absolutely beautiful. I mean, we've learned a lot since then. Things have changed since then. But there was absolutely a huge change in Siobhan's quality of life, uh, of her experiences that she was able to have, and... Um, sadly, Siobhan's not alive anymore, but so I've been, I've been involved with young care from the very beginning. And then in 2017, I had, I'd, I'd left working in mental health. Um, it definitely has a lifespan on it. And, um, and I had taken some time off work cause I, there was actually a, a very unpleasant incident with somebody in the mental health um, arena that that, um, made me really was the catalyst for me to leave because I'm a mum and I have a family and that sort of thing. And I thought, right, it's it's when it starts to get dangerous, it's time to get out. So um, I took some time off because it was going to be Christmas school holidays anyway. So I thought, well, I'll take three months off work and see what's around. And then... um, (laughs) I actually reached out to Young Care and was really fortunate to 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 um, get a job interview. <clears throat> and um, I actually did, and it's a bit legend in the office, say to them, look, I actually don't have any skills. I have no IT skills. I really am not going to be able to do anything like that whatsoever. But I tell you what, I'm a really hard worker and I know heaps of people and I'll be able to help you. And they they gave me a part-time job, which within six months had turned into full-time. And um, and then uh, because of my background, I think, you know, the work I'd done with the homeless and East Timor and always loved that sort of thing, um, I ended up in the Young Care Connect team. And I have to tell you that at 51 years of age, I've never, ever loved anything as much as I do love this 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 job and this role and this organisation and the people I work with in this building and the people I work with who are families and participants who um, I'm working with to to better their lives. It's it's an absolute privilege. I also love that I see photos of Siobhan around on the walls and uh, I feel like everything she went went through has left an amazing legacy, an extraordinary legacy, and, you know, her pain and her absolute suffering, which she was incredibly, incredibly brave and dignified through, has uh, turned out to be a positive for so many people. So it's lovely to hear her name being said. It's wonderful to see her photos around. So you kind of feel like she's alive in a way. It's, it's, it's great, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, we, uh, um have jumped on, well, jumped on board and uh, has selected when we first started out um, Young Care as our charity of choice. And, you know, part of that reason was very simple in the sense that you guys need homes and we as a community build them. So that was one of the, the main reasons, you know, apart from the, the wonderful work that Young Care does. And for me, no 23-year-old or 31-year-old should ever be in aged care. You know, there's just it's just not the place for them. And the sooner we can get more accommodation built and more housing built mm-hmm. for people with high-care needs, the better.
1: We are um, obviously really grateful and appreciative to have the support of a week Um, it's organizations such as yourselves that i mean really if you knew if you really knew the difference that you made um, you wouldn't believe it and you'd be so proud of yourselves because uh still to this day there's very little uh recurring government funding in this space which is amazing to to really be able to believe, but it is the case. And without people like AWIC, Young Care wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. We're, we're so fortunate to have the support of organisations and corporates and individual donors and volunteers. I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. And um, not-for-profit organisations, and particularly very small ones. We would not be able to continue without Support as uh, from people like yourselves, there's only um, 23 of us here at Young Care and I think possibly maybe about 14 or 50 of us are, are actually full-time. Uh, you know, we're really accountable for um, the the, the um, dollars that go to mission and what is spent, I mean Amanda's been into our office here where it can get pretty crowded pretty quickly can't Amanda? <laughs>
0: that it's always got an amazing vibe to it you know it's always fun and uplifting and you know yeah you know and it's incredible you know you just you walk in and everybody knows who you are and you know you just start having chats with everybody it's fantastic
1: yeah well I guess the thing is because we are smaller um when someone like yourself comes into the office you are getting the same person all the time you're not There's not 300 people here, so you're not getting different faces. If you you call up here, and we really like keeping it small, even though it means that the workload is pretty crazy, Um, it means that when people call us, they're actually getting the same person on the end of the phone. And this is really important because people who reach out to an organisation such as Young Care, they're in crisis. Yeah. And they are often very ignored or isolated or um, just, you know, every time, or they reach a call centre when they, when they ring somewhere. The people that I work with, the families, the participants, the occupational therapists, the social workers, the physios, whomever I'm working with, they know that the phone call they will get back will be from me if I haven't taken their call because I'm on, on another call or in a meeting um, that I'm the person they speak to, that if they want to um, have any information about grants, well, Sarah is the person they speak to, Sarah is the person who will call them back, um, and so on and so forth with all of the, the people here. And I think that's very important when you are working with people who's, who are living a really fragile existence and have had to fight for everything that they've got. So we really like to, and any new inquiries that come through here, um, we have a commitment except for if it's over the weekend, but sometimes that doesn't even matter. If, if, if it comes through to my mobile phone, I will, I will make the call or take the call. Um, you know, that people are responded to the day that they call us and if not, at worst case scenario, the next day. But a, a few Saturdays ago, I was actually getting ready to go to the races for the first day when they were letting to to um, Doomban. And I was in my ensuite putting on my makeup and speaking to a mum and her daughter on speakerphone, um, who are people I've been building a relationship with, who are moving into some young care housing that currently is under construction. And that was a Saturday morning while I'm doing my makeup. So, and I don't care. I love that. That's great. That's so great that they actually, I mean, I'm not welcoming every work phone call are at 10 o'clock at night or 6.30 in the morning, which does sometimes happen, but um, how lovely that they feel that they've got that relationship, that they can reach out and, and call me or text me and they know that I'll get back to them. That,
0: Absolutely, because, you know, like I you mentioned. I can do that for people giving you know and for people too you know they're looking after a loved one and you know you're right when they call you guys they're at their end of their tether they don't they're in despair they're, they're in they despair They really don't know where else to go and to simply pick up that phone and ask for help mm. it's huge
1: well it takes a lot of courage as well because You know, I guess it's different with the grants because the grants, we can um, assist people to stay at home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. But for some people, staying at home is no longer an option. So, as I said, I'm 51. I speak to mums and dads who are in their 80s who've still got their child in their 50s with high physical supports that they are still looking after as they would have to look after Um, a completely vulnerable baby still doing that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for them, they are planning for the future. They're planning for when they're not around and they know that they have to get something uh, in place and their loved one settled well before they pass away so that they are there for that adjustment period and that sort of thing. And the anxiety and fear and guilt that goes with that is unbelievable and completely understandably so. And so the fact that they can speak with us and know that they've got a relationship of trust, we work really hard on building that trust. And part of that is speaking to the same person every time, um, visiting them, getting to know them, uh, not being like just the voice on the end of a phone. Uh, this morning we've been at New Farm Park with a few people who are moving into um, a young care house or a group of houses that is, is due for completion in the next few months. You know, they had a fantastic time. We had a fantastic time. These, these people bring joy to my life because it makes me learn more resilience and determination and patience and gratefulness You know, so they feel like they're getting something from from us, but I really feel like I'm getting something from them as well. I've I've formed some wonderful relationships and made some really special friends through my work, um, both in, you know, the corporate sector with people like you, Amanda, um, but some of the mums and dads, Mm. people that live in young care housing. You know, that's what a wonderful way to spend your working life.
0: And just even to hear some of the stories of the residents of the home, of the um, accommodations and, and the homes that, that are currently under construction in Cinnamon Park, you know, it really does change their life. And, you know, who at 23 or 33 doesn't want to have their own home? They want to yeah. have their own freedom. They want to have their yes. own independence. If they want to go, you know, just because these people are high-care needs they're in, and they're in wheelchairs doesn't mean they don't enjoy going to the pub or to a concert or to the park with friends. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and really,
1: who wants their mum or their dad or their sister or their friend showering them? Yeah. You know, really? Yeah. It's not okay. They lose enough dignity as it is without that happening. Yeah. I mean, I think that the sorts of things that people don't sort of think about and you don't, I mean, I've learned a lot working in this area, is that even <clears throat> the fact that you've got support workers and support workers are wonderful and there are people that have the same support worker for 10, 15 years and they have incredible relationships with them, but the that you as a person who is, is, is unable to do anything for yourself, the fact that you are physically handled so frequently all day, every day, that's a very intimate sort of thing to happen. And that is happening all day, every day by other people. You know, it, it can't be... That can't feel great.
0: Well, it can't feel great when there's a change of shift and no. you're in the shower or, you know, you're putting the shower by one nurse or whoever it is and then there's a change of shift and then somebody else comes and gets you out, you know, like... Yeah, or in in, in, in places where,
1: you know, places, um, not young care places, guys, mm-hmm. in places where uh, it's more of that hospital-style environment Um or institutional-style environment where they are simply completely understaffed, Mm. people don't get to have a shower every day anyway. And and then, you know, if they're having a lovely shower, they don't get to stay in it and enjoy it. Whereas, you know, this morning or yesterday morning when it was so freezing... (laughs) I was definitely in the shower for longer than what I normally would be because I felt like it.
0: Because you could, yeah.
1: So um, why should they not, if they're having, you know, and what if they had like a really sore back and the, the warm water on their back is easing that pain, but no, a place is understaffed. So no, they only get their two minutes in there, you know, just enough to really briefly wash off, you know, how, how awful, you know, how awful to not be able to choose what you want to eat And when you want to eat it, how awful to be put into bed at five thirty in the afternoon and told to go to bed to go to sleep. Um, It's sunlight at Mm -hmm. five in the afternoon.
0: Yeah.
1: How awful to have to sign in and out of where you live. Yeah.
0: Or have to be home by a certain time because that's curfew. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When be told when you can have visitors if you're sick, your mum or dad or your best friend or your sister or your brother or whoever it is, can't stay the night with you in your bedroom when you're feeling so awful and alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even imagine what that must be like for people. Mm -hmm. And look, we're under no illusions. If you've got got a, a disability, any disability, and particularly ones with high physical supports, Life's really tough. It's super tough. There are so many obstacles. Um, so we're not thinking that we completely transform someone's life and all of a sudden it's like their disability has gone away. But what we concentrate on is making it as good as we possibly can. And, um, and as I said earlier, we've learnt a lot over the years. So every, every house or building, apartments, what have you, that we open, Um, and that we build, each one will have a different idea or gets better. Um, Equipment that is available, the developments that are being made for people with disabilities to give them more and more independence is extraordinary, and that's ongoing. Like all medical research and equipment, it's an ongoing thing. So with every new place almost, there are more opportunities for people to explore, making their own mind up about things and making decisions. Some of them have never had that chance
0: no and it's even the financial assistance or just general assistance that young care provides to those family members you know they a new wheelchair may be required or you know they may need some assistance you know to keep their loved one at home you know young care can help with that at least point them in the right direction and you know something as simple as I don't know, maybe it's an air conditioner because they can't, you know, facilitate their own body temperature or, or whatever it is. But, you know, if that's what means, if giving them that allows them to stay at home, it's nothing really in the big scheme of it, is it?
1: No. And, and look, ideally, the the really our ideal thought is that, yes, people should remain at home with their family mm. if they want to do. Absolutely. Uh, so moving out into somewhere like young care housing has, has got to be something that is is the decision of the people. It's because, hey, I want to move out of home. Yeah. I don't want to live with mum and dad anymore because they're, they're, they're 70 and I'm 40 and I want to live with some other people who are my own age and I want to listen to loud music and I want to listen to the Stones and I want to listen to the Foo Fighters. Mum and dad don't want to hear it. And... um, want and
0: mum and dad to have their life too. They've been exactly. looking at you for 40 years. Uh, there's a Amanda. And pressure that you know it doesn't matter who you are, you would feel, you know, you don't want resentment to come into that relationship, and it would no. happen at that stage.
1: And and the the um, occurrence of marriage breakdowns where there is a family member with a disability is is much higher mm. in a family where there is not a disability. Things like intimacy between mums and dads because they are still getting up during the night to turn their child and that sort of thing um there are support workers in the house the entire time so they don't get that time alone and usually what you find is that you know there's always there can be some really complicated relationships with other children and siblings as well because the focus has always had to be on the family member with the disability and what you often find is that mum and dad have have never been away on a holiday together
0: yeah
1: um, that one one year will take the other children away on a holiday while mum stays at home with, with the child with the disability um, because you haven't been able to get disability accommodation and can now, but it's still very limited stock. Um, and then the next year, um, dad stays at home with the child with the disability and mum takes kids on holidays. How sad. Yeah. I mean, entire families actually never have the memory of a family holiday where they are all on it together. There would never be a photo of all of them on the beach together or all of them camping together or, you know, and also the other thing that you find which is really distressing is the parents often do not have friends Mm -hmm. because they have full time looked after their loved one, their child with a disability, they have not been on school committees, they have not done tuck, tuck shop, they have not stood at the school gate and chatted, they couldn't do reading in the mornings. So they actually don't meet people. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you can't just go over to the neighbour's place for drinks in the afternoon. No. So you don't form that relationship. You don't build a network of friends. So you find you've got these really isolated, it is lonely, it is, I've got to tell you, the, 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 the tears I have shed over the years for People with disability and their families. I honestly, I can't even tell you. It's just, yeah. It's crazy. And I always say the day that I don't get upset yeah. is the day that I leave.
0: Yeah.
1: Because um, yeah, I've I've got a, i have i have got got to keep feeling about this, and yeah,
0: absolutely. And and like you said, well, you do have those feelings, and you're doing the your right thing.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, sometimes it's hard to turn off, and sometimes my kids go to me, "Stop it, stop it!" It's like religion. Young Care's like a religion. Just stop it. We don't want to hear about it, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, they all actually volunteer. So.
0: Yeah, I bet they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, how can anybody? How can somebody listening um, donate to Young Care? Become a volunteer of Young Care? What can our community do to help you guys?
1: Uh, you're wonderful. OK. Well, the days of volunteers are clearly over at the moment. At the moment. <laughs> we don't have any events because no. <laughs> of COVID. Oh, I'll be looking forward so, to those coming back. <laughs> I'll be nice to do something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can just call up and volunteer. Um, lots of, look, you know what? It is amazing the way that people contribute and assist us. A lot of organisations have a thing called um, workplace giving. And they might, um, you know, every week um, a dollar gets taken out of their pay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the charity of choice might be Young Care. And so we get that money. You'd be amazed how much that adds up from an organisation at the end of the year. Other people just get our collection tins and take them into their office. And when they have, like a, a you know, it's jeans day on Friday or casual day, and you can come in in, in your gym gear or whatever. Again, gold coin donation. Um, and you'd be amazed at the, the, how quickly that money adds up. Uh, you can become a, a recurring giver where money is taken, you know, withdrawn from your bank account, transferred to Young Care. Um, i mean there are so many things that 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 you can do to assist people sometimes will have a morning tea and ask everyone to come along and you know there might even just be 10 friends and particularly in these days where we've had to really um you know events are gone so um you know for the time being anyway you know we'll be planning some wonderful things soon but for now everything is very tentative but you know you can't, you could, you could have a dinner party at home and ask everyone to throw 20 bucks in, um, you know, uh, instead of the extra bottle of wine or something. And, um, and that money could go to Young Care. There's still lots of things that you can do. And, and we've sort of been chatting about that sort of thing, um, about the way that we can look at events moving forward. Um, and, you know, they're parts of the ways that we've had to alter things over, over the course of, over the course of this year. But my my message to everyone would be um, don't feel that $5 isn't enough mm-hmm. because um, any any money to any not for profit is um is a is wonderful. And if that's what you can afford, then you're a really fantastic person for for giving that and and giving it to 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 someone else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. Now Peb, what's the um, Young Care website? Um www.youngcare.com.au Fantastic. So, if anybody's got any questions, whether it's about donating, volunteering when we get back to having events, or if you know somebody that needs a hand with something along the lines of, you know, if they've got somebody with a disability and they just want some more questions, there's lots of places on that website that you can pop in your question and somebody like Pep will be uh, able to help you out.
1: Yes, and we've also got our information and support line that um, Sarah and myself um, look after, and in fact... In the financial year um, to June 30, 2020, um, Sarah and I handled over 10,000 contacts between the two of us. That's <laughs> so <huge. easy>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that phone number is 1-800-844-727. And, um, and we welcome any inquiries. And sometimes it may not necessarily be um, someone who's got high physical support, but we can, we will always endeavour to link anybody who makes contact with us with somebody in some direction, some organisation who may be able to assist them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So jump onto the Young Care website. Um, Pep's mentioned the number. We'll put those back. Um, again on our post when we push this um, through to everybody but in the meantime take care of each other and you know like pep said if you've got a spare five dollars every five dollar adds up and uh, we can get more young people into their own home sooner
1: thank you so much for having me amanda I really it's just been so wonderful to be able to speak about what we do here and my experiences and reliving Timor and that sort of thing was wonderful as well thanks so much and thanks for all of your support
0: my pleasure have a great afternoon everybody